0: everybody! It's Allie, and welcome to our YNR chat. For Sunday, August twenty-first. I feel like this week was a week of many little developments, but no big explosions. It was it was not a lot of movement on a lot of storylines this week. It was there was just a lot more slow kind of emotion, kind of a, 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 a slow boil, a simmering beneath the uh, the surface, if you will. Um I think I kind of want to switch it up and uh, talk about Lily and Daniel right off the bat for a change. Let's just dig in here and uh, and, and get, our, get our feelings out into the open about everything that happened with Lily and Daniel this week. So, this week was Daniel's birthday. And Lily is trying to make it special for him. She really, really wants to move forward with Daniel. But, uh, let's face it, you guys. Let's just, let's lay it all out on the line. Her relationship with Kane is casting this huge shadow, probably a much bigger shadow than she ever even realized over her life, her current life, and, and over her future, over any chance that she might have of moving on. She arranges... This small little birthday party for Daniel. Excellent intentions, but decides to have it at Jimmy's, where Kane works. I mean, she mentions that Kane has the night off, so that's why she's throwing it there, but I can't help but think that part of her wanted for Kane to see her there with Daniel moving on with her life. Why would she even pick that place? There's gotta be plenty of places in Genoa City. She could have gone to Globeworm. She could have gone to the Athletic Club. It's just... Why go where Kane works? That doesn't make any sense to me. Of course she didn't end up running into him at the party but she did happen to run into him later uh, that night at the park. She had to leave the little birthday celebration to go... um, Like, the babysitter called her, and she had to go take um, one of the baby's blankets to the babysitter. Um, So she had to to leave the party. And when she arrived at the park to meet the babysitter, Cain was there. He happened upon, and he he saw his children, and he was visiting with his children. Now, let's forget... (laughs) For a moment, we'll forgive for a moment that the babysitter is taking the twins for a stroll in the park after dark. Probably it's the exact same park where Diane was just murdered. This shows real lack of judgment on the pack of this the part of this babysitter. Um, and Kane happens also to be taking a little stroll and little evening stroll through the park. and um, at this at the exact same time, we'll just we'll set all that craziness aside for a minute. I have to admit. I still feel bad for Kane, and it has nothing to do with the fact that he is looking exceptionally good these past few weeks. I still feel sorry for him. Like, logically, in my mind, I know that what he did to his entire family was wrong. Wrong. Wrong, 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 wrong. I'm not trying to justify his actions, but Kane clearly still loves his children, he clearly still wants to be involved in their lives, and he clearly still loves their mother. He's still in love with Lily. But Lily arrives at the park to meet the babysitter, sees Cain standing there over the twins, freaks out, and tells him that he's not allowed to see them and he has to get away from them. And Cain was completely understanding Surprisingly, he didn't force the issue, he didn't threaten to sue her, he didn't threaten to try to take the babies, he didn't threaten to steal the babies, the way his father probably would have. So, uh, he just stands there, understandingly, just explaining his position to Lily, telling her how he feels that he misses his children, but at the end of the day, he respects her decision, and if what she needs is for him to back off, then that's what he'll do. And then, the icing on top of Cain's cake of misery, which I'm sure he probably deserves to eat, he <laughs> gets served with the divorce papers right in the middle of this conversation with Lily, in the middle of the park, like the process server has tracked him down in the middle of the park in the middle of the night, (laughs) couldn't wait until the next day, but serves him the divorce papers right in front of Lily and it's awful. It really is. It's really awful. (sighs) But Lily decides, you know what, this is what she's gonna do. She has her mind set. She goes back to the party and she tries to convince herself that she's over Kane and she's ready to move on with Daniel. That's, that's, she's got tunnel vision right now. She's not going to be deterred by Kane's sexiness <laughs> or by the fact that they had this family together. She decides to invite Daniel to leave the bar (laughs) and partake in part two of his birthday surprise which will commence in a room at the athletic club (laughs) a private hotel room if you know what I mean Uh, really the whole thing was like Basically, an invitation to help Daniel slip into his birthday suit for his birthday. support sex happening, but I saw this coming from a mile away. As soon as I realized that they're in the athletic club in a room, and it start, I mean, it was, it was, they were almost talking around the issue, but it was there. Lily was deciding that she wanted to have sex with Daniel for his birthday, and it just, I'm, I'm knowing immediately that this is a bad idea. First of all, she and Kane have booked rooms at the athletic club on several occasions so I mean it's a it's a bad idea it's bound to drudge up some memories she threw him a surprise Paris party I think for their anniversary That was one of the last times they had together at the athletic club in a hotel room probably just down the hall or who knows even in the same room who knows they all look the same but I just can't help but think, I mean, if you really want to start fresh, you got to start fresh. Aren't there any other hotels in Genoa City? <laughs> like, I mean, I know you don't want to take him back to your house. That would be awkward, too. But maybe go to his house, something. I just, it was, it's, it's, it's not a fresh start if it's drenched in memories of your past relationship. But <sighs> she decides to forge ahead. And even Daniel is like, are you sure about this, Lily? I want to make sure that you're comfortable with this because I really didn't think that we were at this point. It was maybe a week ago in our time, probably a couple days ago in our time, where they were just kissing. Now all of a sudden they're at the dirty, making dirty sweet love <laughs> phase, which I didn't realize they were at either, but again, Lily, tunnel vision. She's forging ahead. She's made up her mind. This is what she's going to do. And it's almost as if she thinks that she can just swap out Cain for Daniel in her mind and everything's going to work out. Everything is going to be OK. And that's just not how, not how it works. It's just not how it works. But nevertheless, Lily and Daniel start to make love and she's all kissing on his chest and I'm not feeling it I'm not feeling it I I want to feel it but I'm not feeling it I just like in another six months maybe in another six months I could get into Lily and Daniel but right now it's just so painfully obvious that she is not ready. No matter what her lips are saying, her body, her, her soul, is it's, it's clearly not ready. I mean, if Cain were still dead, it still would be too soon. But she has had to process first his death and then process this whole nother layer of lies. And it hasn't been that long it hasn't been long enough for her to let that soak in and for her to really feel like it's time to move on i've had relationships that didn't even last very long that it's taken me a year to get over i mean and a love like lily's and kane's I just, it's its going to take some more time. And I'm not saying that she should forgive him. I don't know if she should forgive him. I don't know if they should get back together. But I do know that she shouldn't be forcing herself into this relationship with Daniel when it's just not time. It's not fair to her. It's not fair to him. <sighs> Lily starts to have these flashbacks of her lovemaking with Cain while she's in bed with Daniel, which again, is totally understandable. Of course she would be thinking of Cain. And she just realizes that it's not right. Or, I don't know, maybe she just is realizing that she's not ready or both or whatever. I'm not, I mean I think it's all kind of going on in her head. It's all kind of culminating to, to this boil and she just decides that she needs to open up a cold shower on Daniel's birthday surprise and honestly it seemed like the only one who was surprised was Lily. Colin and Genevieve. They love each other. They hate each other. They love each other. They hate each other. Which is it? Maybe they love to hate each other and hate to love each other. I don't know. It's confusing. But either way, there are clearly still feelings there. Unresolved feelings there that really need to be resolved. So this week, Colin goes to visit Genevieve, in her new mansion, which is decorated like her old mansion, her old house, the house that she shared with Colin, which is weird. But Colin goes to visit her, seemingly to extend an olive branch, and they wound up having crazy, angry, love-hate- Sex. It was very schizophrenic, (laughs) the whole thing. And I kind of wanted to get into it. To be honest with you, it was just so weird and unexpected and naughty and like head trippy that I wanted to get into it. But ah, I just find myself completely unable, and I've felt like this for a long time, completely unable to get. Into Colin, he. I'm sorry. He just. I just. I. I. I wish that. I'm sorry again. I hate to say this, but I kind of wish they would just recast Colin. I. I I don't know. Just pick somebody less scrawny-necked. He's like a scrawny old dude. I just need Colin to be someone who I can believe that women would fight over, and then maybe I could get into the whole thing. Anyway, whatever. I'm sure that's a fa- fancy that won't come true. So, after this whole angry sex session <laughs> between Colin and Genevieve, Colin goes to Glowworm and runs into Jill. And he sits down and of course he's trying to schmooze her and he's essentially pledging his love to her. He still hasn't stopped. Even though he just slept with Genevieve, he's still not stopping in his pursuit of Jill. Now, maybe, maybe, this is just a difference between men and women and the way that we process sex. But (laughs) you don't just go sleep with your first wife and then go and try to make up with your second wife, who you were never actually really married to, it just—it doesn't work that way. I mean, maybe because men approach sex in a phys, just a, a more of a physical way. I—I I know that's a generalization, but I feel like, you know, men approach sex as it's a kind of more of a physical need, and women ha- have more of an emotional element to it. Maybe that's it. But when he's sitting at the table with Jill, I want to. throw... That he, what he's doing. I can't, I just can't believe it. And he actually has the nerve while he's sitting there talking to Jill to call up Genevieve on his cell phone to tell her that he wants to get a divorce. It was essentially like he wanted to prove this to Jill, that he was so committed, actually, to Jill, that now he's going to file for a a divorce from Genevieve, finally, like, I think it says a whole lot that he didn't file for a divorce from her a long time ago. (sighs) Obviously, they had some sort of thing against divorce, but still doesn't explain it. After everything, it just... There's clearly... I think that says a lot about the nature of the relationship. That he could have divorced her, she could have divorced him, and they never did. I think that says it all right there. And... Jill was actually starting to talk to Kane this week. She is considering letting Kane back into her life, even though he lied to her too. Of course, it's mostly because... Chance is out who knows where on a secret mission, and Billy pretty much doesn't want to have anything to do with her, so now she's looking for her runner-up son. I think that's the only reason why she's really interested in making up with Kane at this point, but I am telling you, if Jill even thinks for one moment about getting back together with Colin... I will have to knock her over her head. <laughs> I will I will. I will knock her over her head. I will jump through the, the screen. I will knock her on her head. I just it it's he, Colin is a scumbag. He just is. I just I feel like Colin and Genevieve just deserve each other. Actually no. No, no, no. I take that back. I don't feel that way. I kind of like Genevieve. I kind of empathize with her. I just, I don't know. I, I just do. She, we got a little bit more insight this week into, you know, all of the elements that played into the destruction of their marriage and how when her daughter died, she loved her so much. And it just really, of course, that tore their relationship apart. And I... I know that this week, Genevieve made the mistake of letting Colin back into her life, just getting sucked in by him, even for just a few brief, sweaty moments. And the next thing she knows, he's calling her on his cell phone for a divorce, after everything that they've clearly been through. And I just, I can't help but feeling bad, I can't help but feel bad for her for that. And she girl got so angry at the notion of Colin filing for divorce. That she destroyed all of the decor in her new house. She just destroyed like her entire living room. She started throwing vases against the wall and crashing them down onto the floor. And, like, beating the couch pillows, just, like, so angry like a psychopath, and then just, like, knocking over shelves of stuff. Just, just a a, a total destruction. Jeannie Francis was really wonderful this week, I, I have to say. She was very, very good this week. She's, you know, in this role, and I, I've i only seen her a little... I mean, I only know, like, classic Jeannie, you know, from the Laura and, and Luke days. Luke and Laura. But um, but just in this role, I feel like she's scary and she's over the top. But there's just something about her that I just can't help but be compelled to toward. There's just, there is something there. And I, I want to like her. I would like to see her get over Colin's ass and just like get out into Genoa City and make some new friends and have some fun. You know, There's actually this little, um, scene Between Genevieve and Gloria this week. Gloria came over um, to Genevieve's house to give her the closing papers for this, you know, the new house that she's bought. And Gloria and Genevieve actually shared kind of a tender little moment together, just talking about their kids. And I just thought, you know, these two women would probably make really good friends. And I would enjoy seeing that. I mean, (laughs)
1: Gloria would have
0: Genevieve decked out in some leopard print fur in like 10 seconds flat. Hey, is anyone up for a big heaping bowl of bitch pudding? (laughs) So Sam convinced Phyllis this week to go see Sharon in jail which did absolutely nothing to help Sharon's case, but it certainly was uh, entertaining to see uh, Phyllis and Sharon classically going at it some more. Um, you know, Phyllis should be the one to contact Malcolm's friend, the guy who restored that memory card. He could at least testify that he saw the footage, whether or not Adam destroyed it. I mean, I don't know why Phyllis isn't helping more. Is she... Phyllis knows that Sharon is innocent. She admitted as much, and clearly Phyllis has a front row seat for watching Faith grow up without her mother. I mean, Phyllis goes to the jail and after they get done bickering, Phyllis shows Sharon these pictures of Faith from her cell phone, and I mean, like you you know that this child has grown up without her mother. You know this mother is in jail, innocent, missing her daughter. <laughs> So why not help Sharon out a little bit? I mean, I don't know. I feel like Sam is right. Phyllis may actually be the only person who could get inside Adam's head and and find some evidence. You know, find out if there's a a possibility of recovering the memory card. Or, I don't know, maybe finding uh, that person who he was secretly talking to on his cell phone a couple of weeks ago. Um, Because I have feeling that Sky might still be alive. Because, I mean, really, what else is going to get Sharon out of this predicament? What? If the evidence is gone, unless Avery has some kind of super-duper ace I, in her hand, I just don't know what else it could be. I just have this feeling that Sky might still be alive, because that would that would clear things up real quickly. And we need to get to the end of this, really. Sharon has been in jail for so long. <laughs> We've made no movement on it whatsoever. It's been weeks of dragging it out. We need to get this girl out of jail. And um, there was one, actually there was one thing that, that I thought was a pretty significant development this week. And it was kind of one of those things that made me scratch my head and go, hmm, it really threw me off. While Sam was busy busting his butt trying to get Phyllis to go see Sharon to help her, Avery was taking it easy at the coffee house, acting like it was no big rush for her to get back to Sharon. No big deal. Whatever. She's got time. She's going to relax for a while. And it was this really awkward moment that made me question her motives entirely. Did any of you guys catch that? Did you Did you see that scene? Do you have an opinion on it? It felt weird to me, and I don't really know how to interpret it. So I'm I really want to know. That's got to be like the question of the week. If you answer me nothing else this week, tell me what the heck do you think was up with that thing with Avery? I I'm just I'm wondering is is she not putting her all into Sharon's case? Or worse, is, is it possible that she's working against Sharon? For some reason, I mean that's certainly possible. I, I, like, she acts all noble, like she's she's the the champion for the little guy. But I just I'm wondering if that's an act somehow. I can't help it. I don't want to think it because I really like her. But I'm just starting to wonder if there's more going on there. And initially, I thought to myself, could she be working for Adam? Because if if she's working against Air, Air, against Sharon. Who is one of Sharon's enemies? Who would want to see her in jail more than Adam, you know? I just was wondering, like, could she be working for him to make sure that Sharon stays in jail? But then, later... Avery and Adam had, you know, this pretty convincing argument. I mean, if they're on the same side of the fence, they did a pretty good job of showing otherwise publicly at the athletic club. They had a pretty public argument. And when she looks at him, she seems genuinely disgusted. (laughs) Like she can't stand him. Um, Adam actually found a way to slyly imply to her this week, that he did destroy the evidence, the only evidence that could get Sharon out of jail, uh, which should put a major damper on her face, or on her case, and her face should make her really disgusted with Adam. Um, And the weird thing was Avery went back and told Sharon, confirmed to Sharon, that Adam had destroyed the only evidence that could save her. And Sharon's actual reaction was, wow, I must have really hurt Adam to make him destroy that evidence. Like, she was thinking about him, even in that moment. I mean, Adam is insisting that he's over Sharon. No, he's, what was it he said? Um, I am no longer feeling pain. I'm only causing pain. And yet Sharon is still feeling bad for what she did to him, even learning that he did this horrible thing to her. And Avery actually had to snap her out of it. Like, woman! This guy had your freedom at his fingertips and he just flicked it away, like that, like it was nothing. So I don't know, you guys, what is Avery's deal? What is up with her? I I, I don't know, but I totally love her. I think she's beautiful and I think she has so much potential. She kind of looks like uh, like Portia de Rossi, doesn't she? I mean, she's just absolutely stunning. Um, and I really am curious. Like, I just, I wondered In a way, she's kind of coming off as this a little bit bumbling, a little bit wrinkly, a little bit, you know, but a little bit off kilter. But I think she's smarter than that, you know? And I, I just can't help but wonder if she's got some kind of nasty little trick up her sleeve. Poor little Kyle is still trying to process the fact that not only is his mother dead, but she was supposedly brutally bludgeoned to death, murdered. And there are at least a dozen people in town who hated her enough to do it. I can't imagine being this poor little kid having to go through all of this. And he's talking to Jack this week, asking him so sweetly, Why did everyone hate my mom? (gasps) So sad! I'm feeling it, you guys. This little kid wants answers, and he wants the truth, and he deserves it, and I want to help him get the truth. He went to the bridge this week, and the scene of the crime, and... He dropped a few flowers down into the water for her, right, where she died. It broke my heart. It did. I'm telling you, I cried buckets of tears for this kid this week. I did. I cried this week for him. I think I cried more for him than he cried for Diane. (laughs) I was projecting, though. It felt good to cry. (laughs) But he got it. He got my heart this week. He was tugging on it. And I'm really glad that we finally had a funeral service for Diane. And I'm glad that Michael and Lauren were involved in putting it together. And I love seeing everyone coming together to try to help Kyle through this. And I the whole time, I mean, I've been thinking for a while, like, are they ever going to give this woman a service? This kid needs closure. I mean, we all need closure. But, ugh, the saddest thing. (laughs) To add to all his problems, poor little Kyle is worried. (laughs) That no one will come to his mom's funeral. (laughs) Is that not the saddest thing you've ever heard? I mean, can you even imagine loving your mother so much, but knowing that everyone else hates her? And thinking that they're just going to have, I mean, his mother's dead and no one cares. And it's just going to be this empty you know, church. I just, I don't know. It was so sad, but I was actually surprised to see how many people actually turned up for the service. Um, pretty much all of the main suspects were in attendance. Um, Jack and Victor and Michael all gave excellent speeches, you know, remembering Diane, and but really with the intent of trying to give Kyle closure. Um, and of course... Victor couldn't miss the opportunity to issue a warning to Jack that his the, the day for this custody battle is quickly arriving. And Jack, of course, vowed to not let that happen. He's not going to let Victor get his hands on his kid. And furthermore, Jack showed in no uncertain terms but he is angry with Diane, saying "Damn you, Diane!" Angry with her for putting him in this position in the first place. Mm. But enough to kill her? I don't think so. I really don't think so. Um, Ronan also took the opportunity to issue a warning of his own. He pretty much knows all of the evidence. And he tells, he he at the service Tells everybody to sit tight Because he's got something to say And he tells them in no uncertain terms That if they don't come forward And start filling in the blanks That someone else is going to do it for them I I guess he just figures that Eventually They're all going to rat each other out Now I could go on For a whole nother hour Just talking about The Ronin's sex factor (laughs) You know I can. But I have to tell you guys, the sex factor was crushed a little bit this week with the revelation of Ronan's new haircut. Why do they insist? on buzzing his hair short like that. They did it last time when he was on the show earlier this year, whenever the heck it was. They had his hair buzzed short, and I was never attracted to him. I never felt about him in my loins earlier this year the way I have felt about him within the last couple of weeks. And now they have buzzed his hair short again, and I hate it. I hate it. His hair last week was looking so cute. It had it was longer. It was it was longer and it was messy. It was a little moist and it totally complemented his face. It was proportional. His face was proportional. And then they just go and chop it all off. Whoa! I guess I'm just gonna have to start talking more about the murder investigation and less about the sex wolf. Aww. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> Fine, Minor. Um, brain shift. One interesting development, actually, this week. Do you guys remember? All of those stupid pillows... with all of those stupid sayings all over them that were strewn around Diane's hotel room they showed them like interspersed with the revelation of Diane's dead body floating in the stream so it was like this spooky sequence of looking at these stupid pillows and then showing scenes of the park and they just slowly panned around to the pillows, to the park, to the pillows, to the park while they're back (laughs) The stupid pillows are back on the scene. Kyle had a chance to view Diane's hotel room this week. And Ronan's like, hey, kid, if you want to take home any of these stupid pillows, you can go right ahead. And then Kyle just kind of looks around and he says, you know... I've never seen any of these stupid pillows in my life! (laughs) Whoa! Major revelation! The killer, apparently, took time to toss these stupid pillows all around Diane's room just before sending her to her grave. (sighs) What the hell? (laughs) (laughs) Really? What the hell? Like, all of the embroidered sayings were about greed and being a bitch. And honestly, when I ask myself who would do that, the person who has a history of breaking into hotel rooms and doing weird things like that is Phyllis. Do you guys remember... um, When uh, she broke into Sharon's hotel room and started cutting up her clothes. Like, it just, that seems some like, it seems like it has a mark of Phyllis all over it. Like, I can totally see Phyllis picking out those stupid pillows at a local craft fair. (laughs) Or, probably even better, yeah, sitting at her computer and ordering them on Etsy. (laughs) These embroidered pillows. And then tossing them around the room for Diane to find. But, (laughs) does that mean that the stupid pillows are necessarily connected to the murder? No, I think the stupid pillows are just a red herring. But, Deacon doesn't seem to think so. Deacon saw Phyllis at the park on the night of Diane's murder, and basically... He saw everything that we saw, and only what we saw. Phyllis picking up the rock, running off into the woods to find Diane, and Phyllis insists that, yes, she did that, but she never found Diane. Diane hid, and she never caught up with her. But that's not stopping Deacon from using this as an excuse for blackmail. But it's a weird type of blackmail. The strange thing is... He's not blackmailing her for money. She offered him money to go away. He's not blackmailing her for sex. Of course, I don't think she would have given it up anyway. He seems to be just blackmailing her for a few dates. (laughs) What? I'm confused. I'm very confused. What is Deacon up to, you guys? I don't get it. Like, every corner Phyllis turns, he's there. He sent her this text message, meet me at the park, and Phyllis, of course, is appalled by Deacon. She slept with him once, but she does not want to repeat that part of history. She's appalled by him, but he has this information, so she's in between a rock and a hard place. Deacon has information that will contradict her statement to the police, and she doesn't want that to get out. So she goes to meet him in the park. And I busted out laughing. I mean, I laughed hard. When she shows up in the park, Deacon is sitting on a park bench, holding a bouquet of flowers for her. <laughs> it was so pathetic. <laughs> he hands Phyllis the flowers. She takes them and throws them back in his face. I mean, this poor guy seem to score i just don't get it i just don't get it what's his angle is it is this amber all over again is it him trying to you know i mean remember him trying to blackmail amber into marrying him is it him trying to blackmail phyllis into having affection for him or does he just enjoy torturing people i i I don't know i mean that's what he seems to be doing to abby He's telling her that he knows all about her little videotape, but, you know, of course that information has leaked out to Victor, who will assuredly be confronting Deacon about that next week. Or, I don't know, is, is the Deacon Phyllis thing just a plot device to like, keep Nick and Phyllis in limbo? Is that what it is? I mean, Phyllis is totally jealous of how much time Nick is spending with Ashley, Of course, we both know, we all know, that it's less about romance and more about covering their butts. Um, Nick has changed his cell phone number, yet he's continuing to get these harassing phone calls, like playing the recording of his argument with Diane over and over and over And Ashley uh, received an anonymous package this week containing a still photo from the video footage taken at the park on the night of the murder. And again, you guys, I just think it's all a red herring. I think it's all a wild goose chase. I mean, I don't know what happened to Diane, but I don't think any of these people killed her. Abby disagrees. She has discovered that Tucker has the poison sumac on his hands. And she somehow happens to know that Diane had poison sumac around her neck that was found on her body uh, after she died. Now, we all saw Tucker... Try <laughs> to strangle Diane with his weak little girly arms just before she laughed in his face and knocked him down. But Abby sees this as irrefutable evidence that Tucker killed Diane, and she goes to Ronan to give him the scoop, to tell him her theory, which I think really only incriminated her. Uh, but Ronan goes to visit Tucker, to question him, and it's so obvious. The Tucker is lying. He says that he has carpal tunnel and that's what's wrong with his hand. But who wears a bandage for carpal tunnel? That doesn't even make sense. And how did he get carpal tunnel when he's been in a coma for months (laughs) and he's barely been back at work for a few days? He's still struggling to read and comprehend a contract that Catherine gave him proposing the liquidation of part of his company. He hasn't been typing away. He can can barely do anything. So Catherine is still on the hunt for Tucker's long lost son. And Paul actually made some progress on that front this week, which is kind of exciting. Uh, the super sleuth Paul <laughs> has performed an ink analysis on the letter that uh, t- the, the, the child's mother left for Tucker, um, you know, writing him this note to tell him that he has a child, but he would never be involved in the child's life. And Paul determines that the ink used to write this letter to Tucker... <laughs> was only produced, or it was stopped being produced, in the 80s. And he deduces from this information and in his analysis that Tucker's son has to be at least 20 years old. Wow! That was elaborate. <laughs> Later at the coffeehouse, Paul is sitting in the back patio looking at his laptop, and he starts looking through old pictures of Tucker online and notices that there's a woman who is appearing in a lot of these photos. She's hanging out on the scene more than once, and Paul starts thinking, well, this could be the the child's mother. Gee, I would have thought that Paul would have done that Google image search long before he had a chance to do the ink analysis on the letter. <laughs> this is just so ridiculous, but I'm still really curious to know the identity of Tucker's mystery son. Clearly, it has to be someone whose mother we don't know. We've never met because if the mother was in Genoa City, she would have she would have known Tucker and she probably would have acted all weird. So I think it's somebody whose mother we haven't met yet. And if it is somebody in Genoa City, the, if, if the son is someone in Genoa City, I think Devon... It's probably the 20-something who would most likely fit that bill. But otherwise, I don't think it's outside of the realm of possibility that they'll bring in someone new. Because, again, I really think whoever it is is probably going to end up being a match-up for Abby. I mean, considering how much she hates uh, his father, it must be love. It must be romance. Um, I don't know. The, the whole thing is, is a mystery. Uh, and... and On some level, the whole thing still really bothers me because I think that it's shady that Catherine is looking for Tucker's son without his knowledge. I mean, she specifically told Paul not to tell Tucker what she was up to. Uh, And I just feel like, given her track record lately, I get the feeling that finding his son is less about you know, reuniting father and son, and more about just control. Okay, well those are my thoughts on this week in YNR, but I can't wait to hear what you guys have to say. So now it's time for you to feedback. You can leave me a comment. um, Tell me what you're thinking. Tell me what your theories are. I can't wait to get your feedback. You can go to my blog at yrchatblog.blogspot.com also if you want to leave a comment there. Or you can even call in and leave me a voice comment. The telephone number is 309-588-4569. Either way, it is always a pleasure hearing from you guys. It's always a pleasure talking with you about the show. And I'm totally looking forward to coming back next week and chatting with you again. So, everybody have a wonderful week. I love you so much. And I'll see you next time. Bye!